1901, a woman by the name of Annie Taylor climbed into a barrel so that she could ride that barrel over Niagara Falls, the first person to do so. The reason for her crazy endeavor? She was struggling to make ends meet, and she was hoping for fame and financial security. It's Ryan from United Faith Mortgage, a faith and family mortgage team that tries to improve your financial outlook without having to ship you over a 170-foot waterfall. Our mortgage team happens to be an arm of a bigger company who is a direct lender, which means our company gets to use its own money and make its own decisions within its own walls. There's no middleman. This advantage often allows us to get you a better rate, which can save you monthly and lifelong money through a refinance, or help you with a cash-out refinance, cashing out some of your home's equity to use for life. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed mortgage banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. Dr. Michael Rydelnik is joining us. He is a biblical scholar. Good morning to you, Michael. I'm not just, well, actually, I'm a biblical student, let me just say it, but <laughs> I happen to be, uh, let me just say, I've been teaching at Moody for 30 years, and now I'm the dean. Why do I say that? Because people are listening, and they're thinking, where are my kids, my grandkids going to go? I know their teenage kids generally are not uh, listening, but this is the place, uh, Moody Bible Institute, the best place, the best foundation for life to get. So I want to encourage everyone to uh, consider looking at moody.edu and checking out the school. Tell your kids, tell your grandkids. And if they're listening, you yourself, check it out about going to Moody Bible Institute. And not only are you going to get a an amazing uh, education in the Bible and other um, areas that are, are, are offshoots of that, but is tuition sponsored? I mean, where are you going yeah. to get that in today's world? Isn't that amazing? Our, our residents, students living in the dorms, they pay room and board. That's it. Mm. And fees. Everyone's got fees. Yeah. You know? Sure. But uh, tuition, that's paid for. I remember when I was a student 50 years ago, 50 years ago, I can't <laughs> believe it. Uh, uh, I got my bill and it said it had the amount of tuition. And then it said paid for by friends of the Institute. And that was, it was a, it was a, I thought it was tuition free, but it wasn't. It's tuition paid. Mm. People raise up money to pay for people to go to Moody. That is uh, amazing. It and is. Uh, uh, Michael, just, I, I know that you're a professor at Moody Bible Institute, now academic dean. You have to understand something that happened over the weekend here on Mornings with Tom and Tobby Sunday style, because we talked about the cruise to the Mediterranean, right? The journeys of Paul. And we're just minding our own business talking about it, that your tour guides will be Dr. Mark Job, the president of the Moody Bible Institute, and also Dr. Joe Stoll, the former president of Moody Bible Institute, and Dr. Mike. Michael Rydelnik, and Tommy says... The future president of the Moody Bible no, Institute. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late. Uh, no, I, I announced I love it to being everybody. I'll, I'll never be president of anything. <laughs> <laughs> you will now. <laughs> Well, Michael, All right. we just love that you're with us each and every week, um, especially on, on Saturdays where you really get to flesh out some of these questions on Open Line. But you're gracious enough to spend some time with us here uh, in Chattanooga for Open Line Chat. And we do have a question that came in actually last week. We didn't have an opportunity to get to it. It's from our friend Tim. And it's a question about the Lord's Prayer. And the question is, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew and Luke are 
Are they different versions of the same story or did they occur at different times? It seems to me that that uh, they're in in Matthew, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount as an aside. In Luke, uh, the disciples said, come teach us to pray, please. And so it seems to me that a lot of a lot of times people think that that the Lord Jesus only said things one time. But I think that's a mistake. I think about how I uh, prepare sermons. Uh, I don't prepare sermons for one time. Uh, if it was good enough to preach one time, it's good enough to preach again. Mm. And so in the same way, the Lord Jesus would use stories over some of his parables, a model prayer he would use at different times. And so we don't have to think it was just one occasion that he said that. Uh, it could be multiple occasions. Hey, I knew that. And do you know how I knew that? How? From watching The Chosen. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, gonna, I was hoping you were going to say from reading the gospel. From reading the gospel. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. No, 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 no. Just like I me, am reading the, the reason I'm so proficient in Exodus is because I've I've studied Exodus using two different translations, the Ten Commandments and Prince of Egypt. So we're both <laughs> uh, there. We go. <laughs> All right. So we've got another question. This question is from today and it's from Beverly. And she says, Dr. Radelnik, please explain where those who have died are resting until the final judgment occurs. Is it Sheol? or in a place of torment. And I understand believers' uh, souls are immediately present with the Lord when they die. And uh, thank you. And I'm going to add because there, you know, when- I I have no idea really what she's asking. Oh, Is she asking where Old Testament saints go? Is she asking where (laughs) believers go today? I I don't understand what she's asking. Could you read it again? Let me read it again. Dr. Rydelnik, please explain where those who have died are resting until the final judgment occurs. Is it Sheol, a place of torment? I understand. She's thinking about people in general. Um, okay. Well, let's uh, unpack it and, and, and answer in a couple of different phases if we could maybe do that. How about people in general? Yeah, people in Beverly, general. Beverly, and if you're listening, uh, text, text us a, some more again right now. Yeah. Yeah. The... The interesting uh, principle is that many people want to say that Sheol is the Old Testament place where people go, and that when the Lord Jesus was resurrected, he released believers, the Old Testament saints, from Sheol, uh, and that there are two two spaces in Sheol, one for the the believer and one for the the Old Testament saint, one for the, uh, the lost person. I think that's making too much detail, too much technical uh, truth, you know, too, it's too detailed because the Bible isn't that clear. Sheol in the Old Testament is the abode of the dead. Uh, that's and as far as pe- people thought of it, it's where dead people go. Okay, uh, what we do know is that believers go to be with the Lord, even in the Old Testament. Hmm. And so, the abode of the dead for believers was in the presence of God. The abode of the dead for lost people is uh the way peter describes it is in uh they're held uh in in bondage so to speak uh until the time of the judgment uh he called they're called spirits now in prison he's not talking there uh, about demons he's talking about the spirits of human beings in the days of noah 
who are imprisoned after they died awaiting future judgment. And so it seems to me that that's true of everyone. It's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. So those of us who know the Lord, Paul says that when he dies, he goes to be with Christ. That's the New Testament era. Uh, that's his understanding. He goes to be with the Lord Jesus. Uh, uh, that's what 2 Corinthians 5 is saying, where it says absent from the body is present with the Lord. Uh, but uh, those who don't know the Lord, they are awaiting judgment. They're imprisoned awaiting judgment one day uh, to face him at the great white throne. Okay, um, so she did text back and she said, yes, people in general. So I think you you accurately understood that as you were answering. My, I have to ask a follow-up question for Beverly's, and that is when, when Jesus was crucified, it says that there, in one, I think it was in um, Mark, that or maybe it was Matthew, where the souls of saints were resurrected and were walking around. It's Matthew. It's Matthew? Yeah, it's in Matthew. Okay. Uh, and it's actually in the section about the crucifixion, but it is, you're right, referring to the resurrection. It's in Matthew 27. It's kind of an obscure verse. Uh, what it says is uh, that uh, uh, that there were many uh, who, who came out of the tomb and uh, they, they were resurrected. And, you know, when people ask me, how could that be? Uh, it seems to me that what I understand here it is it's in verse uh, 52. The tombs were also opened and many bodies, this is Matthew 27, 52. The tombs were also opened. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Fallen asleep is a euphemism, uh, a softening uh, figure of speech for those who had died. And so uh, what it's talking about there is that believers in the Old Testament who were with the Lord, they had fallen asleep. They were raised from the dead. It was a super, this is the technical theological version. When the Lord Jesus was raised, there was a super duper uh, burst of resurrection power. And so some of the Old Testament saints were resurrected. I don't believe that they were resurrected to immortality. Uh, they were not resurrected to immortality because... Uh, I would, uh, the Lord Jesus, 1 Corinthians 15, is called the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the very first one to be raised to an immortal resurrection. And so that means Lazarus, for example, who was resurrected by the Lord Jesus, uh, John 11, uh, he would have had to die again. These resurrected people would have to die again uh, and then be raised to immortality at the at the at the last at the resurrection so so where were they they were with the lord and then they came back to earth yep mm. what, why, why does that trouble you <laughs> what why does that trouble you i don't understand because it doesn't it seems like if a person gets resurrected i mean if they were with the lord all that time like to have be to come back to the earth, I don't, and then to die again. I, it just seems. Yeah, listen. Some people have easy lives. Some people have hard lives. <laughs> even the, even among the believers, there there are plans that God has for them that huh. maybe we wouldn't choose. Uh huh. 
and mystery. A, There's mystery because that's wow. Yeah, that's I wild. said it's an enigmatic verse, but that's that's the best I can make of it. Yeah, I think though that we we are mistaken when we get these really technical explanations of where people go in the Old Testament, the two the two sections of Sheol, and you know they are waiting this and that. I, I think you know the Bible isn't that clear. We I don't think know. it's clear this that believers go to be with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Dr. Michael Rydelnik, the future president of Moody Bible Institute. <laughs> no, 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 never say that. Yeah. Never say just that. teasing, just teasing, Michael, just <laughs> kidding. But uh, he is the one that's going to be answering your questions. He does it on Saturdays on Open Line, does it on Monday mornings here in Chattanooga on Open Line Chat. And we do have another question for you, Michael. Okay, this comes sure. to us from Neil, and he says, uh, my question is, what does the scripture in Jeremiah 17.10 mean? So Jeremiah 17, 10, I wish we did have a translation on that, but he says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins. What are the reins is the question. Uh, uh, It's the King James Version. So the very first thing I would say is if you want to understand the Bible, get a modern translation. I mean, I know people are (laughs) devoted to the King James, Mm -hmm. but uh, I think that most of the Mm -hmm. Most people, when they're confused, they I don't know what that means. It's because they're reading a version that's from the 17th century, and English has changed since then. The heart is deceitful, verse 9 says. It's incurable. Who can understand it? And the answer is no one on earth, really, fully. Uh, I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart. It literally is, I test the kidneys. But the ancient world, they used kidneys like we use heart mm. as the seat of feelings and, and decision making. So it says, I, the Lord, examine the mind. I test the heart to give to each according to his way, according to what his actions deserve. So that's all it means. It means that God tests us. Okay, so just mm. in the translation of the, just since it is King James, um, when you're troubled by it or anything, just just pick up a a modern translation. Kind of takes and and creates a definition for you by the way it's translated for today's language. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And and so it just means he tests the heart. That that's what it means. Uh, mm. Or try the new King James version. It might be easier to understand if you're so devoted to the King James. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know people think I'm down on the King James. I'm not down on the King James. Here's what I am. I recognize that in its day, it was a clear, understandable English version, and I bless God for it. But uh, we are now not in the 17th century. We're in the 21st century. And so I believe we should read 21st century translations that are understandable. I wonder where it, yeah. Language changes over four centuries. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I test the heart is what he's saying. Yep. And Michael, one question came in and it's kind of a partial question. um, And I will do my best to try and interpret what they're trying to say. It's a question about Revelation 6 verses 9 through 11, uh, where it begins with when he opened the fifth seal, I saw. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just 
um, kind of opened it up uh, just through Bible Gateway. Uh, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the Word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? How long? Is that question ever answered? Uh, yeah, it's seven years. Oh. <laughs> These the are tribulation saints. Okay. And so at the end of the tribulation, uh, the the Lord will return and deal with the problem that was going on in the tribulation. Okay. So you've got the judgment of the nations at the end of the tribulation, uh, described in Joel 3, and also in Matthew 25, about the sheep and the goats, the nations will be judged. Uh, also, there'll be a great white throne judgment after a thousand years. But the judgment of the nations will take place at the end of the tribulation period. So these are all people who are martyred during the first half of the tribulation. There are people who came to the Lord in the tribulation and they were martyred during the first half of the tribulation. Okay, so, so that period of time is seven years. And then- Well, it starts seven years. I don't right. know where we are. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you for that. And then um, somewhere in the first three and a half years that they say this prayer. So, okay. so with, within a few years, they're, they're going. Now, the thing is, it is. Uh, but I, what I find interesting about this more than when. But a lot of people get really down on the Old Testament because of imprecatory psalms, psalms that call for God to judge. Mm. And, and they say the New Testament changes it. Well, right here is a New Testament imprecatory prayer, calling for God to judge those who, who carried out wickedness. And so uh, one of the things that I love about the New Testament is it reminds me so much of the old. So that, you know, a lot of people want to make the, the Bible into two divi uh, books divided and the old is different from the new and the new has grace and the old has judgment. And here we have an implication right here. In, in the New Testament, at the end of the New Testament. So uh, that, that's uh, that's not to be, that shouldn't surprise us. It's what the Bible teaches, that the heart of the believer calls for God to bring justice.